This is the Design Spark Podcast. Yes, that's right. The Design Spark Podcast. Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill, and Harriet Brain. We are the presenters, so you'll be entertained as we talk about tech and we have a good laugh about the past and the present and the future and stuff. This is the Design Spark Podcast. Welcome to the Design Spark Podcast, where we explore the past, present, and future of some of the hottest topics in tech. I'm Dr. Lucy Rogers, the inventor with a sense of fun. I'm Beck Hill, the comedian with a sense of pun. And I'm Harriet Brain, the musical historian. <laughs> Look, I mean, we're just going to have to find a different word. Like, we can't rhyme with, with un or pun or fun anymore. Yeah, but, but see, I love puns. And I love funs. <laughs> guys are just insufferable. Um, fine, I love uns then, it's just good. <laughs> this episode, we'll be taking a look at the cosmos to answer the most important question of them all. Should we all go live in space? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery solved. Yeah, yeah. End of episode. Yeah. Cue the music. <laughs> That depends, as always, on the facts. It's time for facts. It's time for facts. Fact time. It's time for facts. Do you want some facts? I want some facts. Well, that's lucky because it's fact time. <laughs> A full NASA spacesuit costs twelve million dollars. <laughs> What's the most expensive thing you've ever worn? I, <laughs> I don't really wear expensive clothes. <laughs> I don't. I don't wear clothes. <laughs> They don't know. It's a podcast. <laughs> it's glorious. <laughs> there is a volcano on Mars. Probably saw you uh, filming this podcast. <laughs> the volcano? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an eruption joke. <laughs> my, my, my aim is to make sure that this is the hardest thing to edit. <laughs> There's a volcano on Mars, three times the size of Everest. By the way, less than 600 people have ever been to space. Hmm. That's actually quite a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. (laughs) Where else have less than 600 people ever been? (laughs) My pants. (laughs) Don't know if that's a brag, really. Yeah. It's not what I heard. Why did you... Gotta get bigger data breaches. <laughs> Throwing up in zero G is gross because there's there's nothing to pull it out and it sticks to your face and the inside of your mouth and you have to sort of uh, uh, spit it out. You yeah. see, it sounds like you've gone through this. I have gone through Did this. You yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. Did you say throwing up in 2G? Yes. Zero G. So, okay, so I started... I went on a vomit comet. But isn't 2G the thing that you get in the phones? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this slow internet. <laughs> yeah. So I went on one of those planes that does the parabolic flight, so at the top um, you're, you're in zero G. But as you're sort of going down again and pulling back up, you're pulling 2G. So it's, it's like going on, um, like you're going up a roller coaster. Um, when you throw up then, because... There's a reason it's called the vomit comet. Uh, you, the sick comes out so fast that you've got to really hold on to the bag as it smacks into it. <laughs> but then you get up into zero G and it sticks to your face. 
I was once sick on a on a normal flight, and um, uh, and I realised that there were no uh, sick bags in the little pocket in front, and the only thing that was there was you know when your headphones come in that little clear plastic, <laughs> and I, the only thing that was in there was that little envelope that you put your foreign change in for charity, and um, and I had nothing, and so I was, I was sick into this bag all over the poor children on the envelope as well. Like, I just felt like it was some horrible political statement, and I was. <laughs> And then I was to this little plastic bag and it was like, because it just overflowed naturally and it just sort of, I don't know if you've ever tried to carry a goldfish in a bag, (laughs) (laughs) but where the top isn't tied off. (laughs) Anyway, um, I just felt like the need to share that. I I haven't got any real stories I can add to the, these are spectacular. Go on the next Um, one. There is a wooden toilet seat on one of the loos in the International Space Station. It's the only wood on board. Until Beck gets up there. With her breeches. <laughs> Excuse me, Beck. These are brilliant facts. Do you have something better to tell us? Of course I do. Please welcome to the stage our resident attention seeker, Beck Hill. <laughs> First of all, this is all you need to know. My bum is in space! (laughs) Um, So there's this thing called Asgardia, which isn't uh, the cool place where all the sexy Hemsworth come from. Um, It's it's a space nation that was founded by a Russian billionaire. His name is Igor Asher Bailey. And he realised that the rate we're going will soon be moving to space. But what might stop that from happening? Are there any guesses? Anyone want to know what might stop us from moving from space? space that's right bureaucracy (laughs) Uh, so what Igor is doing is putting in the groundwork to try and get Asgardia officially recognized by the UN now what do you need to be the citizen of Asgardia well uh, of course obviously you need uh, an email address and uh, yeah that's it that's it you just just need an email address guys so uh, this guy signed up official citizen of Asgardia it's very easy And what they did to celebrate the first 100,000 citizens of Asgardia is they sent a CubeSat, which is like a tiny little cube thing. They sent it up into space, this little satellite. And it's sort of as a placeholder to say to the UN, like, this is where Asgardia might be one day. (laughs) This might be its orbit, which is kind of the same as when you start dating someone and you just leave your things at their house, (laughs) hoping eventually they'll ask you to move in. (laughs) Like, I like to think that soon Eagle's just going to send, like, a hairdryer up there and some spare pairs of undies. Eventually, space will be like, well, you might as well live here, Igor. (laughs) Anyway, the the thing you got to do was, uh, as the first 100,000 citizens of Asgardia, is you were allowed to upload an image that would go onto the hard drive of the CubeSat and went around. So I took a photo of my bottom. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I knew that I would never be an astronaut, so I might as well be an astronaut. Am I right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I figured, like, you know, um, Earth's moon is a satellite and now my moon is a satellite. (laughs) It's not the only thing going for it, of course. Being a citizen of Asgardia, you get other qualities, or as I like to call them, assets. (laughs) Like, on the website, there's a forum. Wait, what?! This space station has everything. Forums are the height of modern communication technology. Thank you, person from the 90s. 
Yes. <laughs> There's a forum where as guardians can chat to each other about serious subjects, but also have a little bit of fun. For example, one thread was titled, how many as guardians does it take to change a light bulb? And everyone got to write in their own answers, have a bit of fun. Uh, here's one of the punchlines I took. Classics such as this. <clears throat> in Asgardia, we won't be using light bulbs. We will have a far more advanced source of light, such as, don't know, a jelly that when is touched emits light. <laughs> a jelly. <laughs> like, not a rock or a plant or something. A jelly. Like, Beyonce was right. I was not ready for that. <laughs> And then the author of the thread did a poll to ask other Asgardians how they felt about the question. The poll was titled, was this silly enough? 60% of people said it was the right amount of silliness. 30% of people said, if anything, it wasn't silly enough. And 10%, yeah, 10% of people said it was too silly. 10%. Let me say this again. 10% of people on an online forum, on a website, dedicated to an unrecognised nation, based in space, <laughs> which doesn't actually exist yet, said a light bulb joke was too silly. <laughs> Just goes to show there are asses everywhere. Especially mine, which is currently orbiting somewhere over Bulgaria. Thank you very much. They kill everybody! tell you why your bum will fall from space. No! <laughs> I want it to stay up there forever! And I really don't want my bum used in the same sentences as the word re-entry. <laughs> Bad luck. <laughs> this is why. We all know that there's some really useful satellites. Those used for GPS, the ones for weather forecasting, and those that let us watch endless repeats of Robot Wars. <laughs> Did I mention I was on Robot Wars? <laughs> but eventually their batteries will give up the ghost and finally die, leaving them as useless lumps of metal spinning aimlessly in the pit of malfunction, a once magnificent technological marvel made space trash by the lot of time. <laughs> and worse, this space debris ends up as a major navigational hazard to other satellites. But that's not the only challenge they face. Have either of you ever heard of something called atmospheric drag? Isn't that one of the challenges on the catwalk and RuPaul? <laughs> <laughs> well, Beck, you could perform some atmospheric drag as fuzzy logic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get that? You were here the first year, yeah, yeah. It turns out that the Earth's atmosphere doesn't suddenly stop when you get into space. There's just less and less of it as you get higher up. A bit like the number of female directors on the boards of multinational companies. <laughs> and just like trying to walk with a toddler clinging to your ankles, drag will slowly bring a satellite down. Obviously, the higher up a satellite is, the less this affects them. TV ones are 42,164 kilometres up. GPS satellites, 20,200 kilometres. How far up do you think your bum is, Beck? <laughs> That's not a line you want to get wrong, is it? <laughs> I said it very carefully. <laughs> Guesses. Um, uh, five. 
<laughs> units. Uni- Unit five know. units. <laughs> five bums. Five, five <laughs> bums high. I don't know. <laughs> Your bumbeck may be whizzing around the earth at about 27,000 kilometres per hour, but your butt is only 400 kilometres up. That is low. Which means... No flying bum! <laughs> I'd like it if someone who was just very tall got hit in the face by my bum. <laughs> Which means there's sufficient gases to eventually... <laughs> to eventually drag it down to what's known as the entry interface <laughs> at 120 kilometres. At which point, the combination of speed and atmosphere will cause your butt to heat up and explode. <laughs> but on the bright side, in about 20 years' time, when you look up and see a shooting star, it could be Beck's bum leaving a streaky trail across the sky. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so good. Um... You with your fancy space bums. <laughs> it's nothing new, you know, like, people have been going to places like the moon for ages. The British space programme has always emphasised unmanned space research and commercial initiatives. Boring! All you need to know is David Bowie was pretty much in charge of the whole thing. <laughs> so let's talk about America. Project Apollo's goals went beyond landing Americans on the moon and returning them safely to Earth. They actually included, number one, being bigger, faster, and better than Russia. Back when the moon was cool, (laughs) those sweet, sweet three years between 69 and 72, 12 people, and by which I mean men, visited it. Let's go through them in chronological order with an interesting fact about each one. You're welcome. (laughs) Number one was obviously Neil Armstrong. He was a Gemini. Oh, no, wait. No, wait, sorry. He was involved in Project Gemini, um, which, which preceded the Apollo project. <laughs> My bad. Um, next up, number two, Edwin Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> the sexiest one. Fact. <laughs> uh, he also kept bees. Um, <laughs> number three was Charles Pete Conrad. <laughs> Yeah, Pete was his nickname. Uh, I can tell you a fact about him, actually, as well. Uh, His first words on the moon were, Whoopee! (laughs) That is soft and queasy. (laughs) And the reason he said that is he genuinely had a bet with an Italian journalist that NASA don't write their speeches, and he won $500. (laughs) (laughs) That is totally worth it. (laughs) So number four was Alan L. Bean, also known as Mr. Bean. Um, as was his father before him. Uh, number five was Alan Shepard. He was actually the second person ever in space back in 1961. He didn't get very far in, though, as it then took him ten years to walk to the moon from where, where they dropped him off. Uh, number six, Edgar D. Mitchell. He believed that aliens had prevented the Cold War from descending into World War Three. Can't disprove it. <laughs> uh, number seven was David Scott, the first person to drive on the moon. Number eight was James B. Irwin. Of the 12 men who've walked on the moon, Irwin was the first to die. In More Than Earthlings, a book, Irwin wrote expressing his view that the Genesis creation narrative was real, literal history. 
coincidence? <laughs> Number nine was John Young. In 2012, Young published an autobiography, Forever Young. <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> he's my, he's my favourite one. Um, <clears throat> number 10 was Charles M. Duke, Jr. Uh, he earned the highest rank in the Boy Scouts, which is Eagle Scout. Uh, number 11 was Eugene A. Cernan. He died in 2017, and I enjoyed reading this super harsh line from his Wikipedia page. For the minor planet named for him, see 12790 Cernan, as if anyone was searching for that planet. I mean, come on, like... <laughs> mm. uh, and finally, number 12, uh, Harrison Jack Smith. <laughs> Another little, little nickname there. Um, he's actually the only professional scientist of the whole bunch. Uh, well, they actually read that he was a geologist, so, you know, scientist. <laughs> you can't trust everything you read, basically. <laughs> And that's the end of the list. <laughs> Lucy, can we go to the future to see if humans get to Mars? Using your RS component time machine, stock number 2258172. Oh, well, if you insist. Okay, guys, as this is the last podcast in the series, can I use the time machine for once, please? No. no. Fine. Um, I'm just going to quickly give the machine a bit of a clean for you, uh, especially the start button. Oh, whoops, no! Oh, no, oh, she's taking so long, machine. suckers! Whoa! Wow. By my reckoning, I've arrived at Mars Colony 1 in the year 2030. Also, there's a handily placed commemorative placard that says just that. Time to meet a smart, brilliant, and desperately single astronaut. Did somebody ask for an astronaut? <sighs> Future Beck, what on Mars are you doing here? And why are you wearing a gold-leaf spacesuit with full-size angel wings? Standard-issue presidential dress? President Beck, we have a report from... Future Lucy as well. <laughs> Wait, how come Beck is president instead of you? Or, you know, anyone else? <laughs> She is rich in the only Mars currency that matters. Online followers. <laughs> so, instead of doctors, engineers and scientists, Earth colonised Mars with social influencers. <laughs> Gotta put them somewhere. <laughs> How else do you launch a new brand? Duh. <laughs> you can't colonise Mars with bloggers. Absolutely not. Thank you. You also need vloggers, gamers, Instagram models. Not that there's many left. Half of them tried that no oxygen challenge and the others took off their helmets for a mass selfie. Did they explode? <laughs> Did they explode? Yeah, just like their follower counts. <laughs> so where's the future me? Don't tell me. I'm vice president. No, you're, you're dead. What? Dead to us. <laughs> Not enough followers. <laughs> Lol. That's, that's... <laughs> what? Is that, is that an oxygen warning? Yeah, the L filtration didn't get enough likes, so we stopped it. I'll DM Mittens. <laughs> Excuse me? Who's Mittens? Oh, we had a poll in the comments section over who should be chief engineer and Mittens won. Slightly concerned that Mittens is a cat. A cat who won by a landslide? Quick, do something! Like passing out while putting this to my stories. 
I'm going to live stream, see if a human can survive on the oxygen of publicity. Great. And now you two are dead to me, lol. <laughs> time machine time. Did you have a nice trip, Harriet? Yeah, it was amazing! <laughs> Anything to report back? Nope. <laughs> and now it's time to check the mailbox and see what space-related designs our listeners have dreamt up. At Matt DeWitt says he's invented something that lets him go kite surfing on solar flares. That's so cool. Are they as cool as data breaches? <laughs> <laughs> you go kite surfing in your data breaches. Yeah, but no, I just mean with my solar flares. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to uh. surf those. <laughs> At Pantagoon would design an anti-gravity drive. Imagine the ease of getting stuff into orbit. It would also be good for aircraft, no runways and silent flights. Is there any possible physical way that an anti-gravity drive could exist? No. Then I'm not interested. I'd like one. So you wouldn't need, well, you wouldn't course, need bras but, anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> the only you get is still fine. At Ticklish Honeybee would design a space elevator or some other method of achieving orbit efficiently. But at Sane Alex underscore asks, Are you sure? Lift music for several days ascent into geostationary orbit? No thanks. I love lift music. So you'd go in a space elevator? My dream is to write lift music. <laughs> Can, what, what would you uh, what would you sing if you're in a space elevator? <laughs> yeah, probably just that. <laughs> if that's the case, I don't want a space people, elevator. People seem to like it. You know what, guys? All this inventorizing has given me a big idea. Uh-oh. Lucy, Harriet. Members of the audience, as we know, the only thing stopping us from going into space is the exorbitant price. The current price of a 90-minute flight on Virgin Galactic is nearly £200,000. And even then, you'd probably be forced to sit on the floor of a vestibule with Jeremy Corbyn. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason for this is that rockets are very expensive to produce. But I have found a much cheaper way of achieving the same results. I've got a bad feeling about this. By removing the rockets altogether. Using the latest in Angry Bird technology, (laughs) we place the eager space tourist into a special sort of pouch. Like a sling. Exactly. Then we sort of... Shot them? Yes, you could say that. We shot the sling, holding the passenger, hurtling them towards the moon. I'm already going to say, Beck, I don't want to fund this. (laughs) Uh, No, uh, I'm not asking for funding to build the invention. What are you asking for funding for, then? To build a net. <laughs> so the problem so far hasn't been getting our passengers to the moon. It's the, um, landing. I find this very hard to believe. No, it's horrible. You should see the results so far. You know that festival in Italy where everyone throws tomatoes at each other? It's <laughs> lots like that. No, I mean, I find it hard to believe you've built a slingshot capable of shooting people into space. I haven't told you how big it is. How big is it? Really big. (laughs) You're lying, aren't you? Yes, fine, I panicked. I do have another invention idea for space travel, though. It can get you to your space destination quicker than any other form of transport. Don't say long shoes. Long shoes, (laughs) TM. (laughs) 
think we'll skip the bit where we ask if you want to fund Beck's invention, but let's give her a big round of applause for trying. <laughs> Oh my gosh, party time. It sounds like something or someone is inside our time machine. Harriet, this is why we didn't want you to use it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Valentina Tereshkova. I am a great cosmonaut, even though I am a gal. My name is Valentina Vladimirovna Tereshkov, but you can call me Val. <laughs> so, that's me. <laughs> I'm a very fun, fun lady. <laughs> But um, I think Paul Simon's jaunty tune does not adequately convey my great importance. <laughs> I am one of four Russian women to have had privilege of being cosmonaut. Out of 120 cosmonauts. Wow. <laughs> Still, with one single flight, I logged more flight time than combined times of all American astronauts who'd flown before me. Simples. <laughs> I can't, look, Lucy, Beck, I can't. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, like, make this amazing astronaut sound like the meerkat. <laughs> from, from Compare the Meerkat. She, like, she deserves a bit better than that, I think. <laughs> also, she's still alive. <laughs> I guess I'll carry on. <laughs> 26 years old was I When I was thrust higher than the sky That's a whole year younger than Harriet is now. <laughs> I achieved rather a lot as first woman cosmonaut, and I have honorary doctorate from Edinburgh, the same university where Harriet got her art degree. <laughs> And I'm still the only woman to complete a solo mission. And I was a prominent Soviet politician. Is there anything I cannot do? Silence, that is correct. <laughs> I was very out of doorsy Skydiving was my hobby I was obvious choice for Vostok 6 I made it all look easy But really I was queasy By orbit number 40 I was feeling pretty sick But I'm still the only woman To complete a song mission. I was also prominent Soviet politician. Is there anything I cannot do? I, I, I look like Russian version of great British comedian Jennifer Saunders. <laughs> Google me, it's uncanny. <laughs> And I'm still the only woman to complete a solo mission. I was also prominent Soviet politician. 
After six episodes, you finally learned something. Wait, there's a number after five? <laughs> you know what, Lucy? I have learned something. Really? No. <laughs> God, you're so easily fooled. <laughs> well, I've learned that we could be in for a very interesting future. Why not give us your forecast, Wincy Willis? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Dr. Lucy Rogers! <laughs> Let me transport you, perhaps for the last time, to the future. The year is 2073. Humans have created more space stations than Fast and Furious films. <laughs> and this being the future, they're onto the Fast and Furious 907. And boy, are they getting close to having a logical plotline. <laughs> if you look up at the night sky, you can't help but notice hundreds of shimmering points of light sweeping across the sky, accompanied by an occasional shooting star. Here in the future, these lights in the sky aren't military platforms, they're not research hubs or aliens, they're old people's homes. <laughs> but it's not a case of wanting to find an excuse not to visit Granny. The old folk choose to go there. When people first arrive at their chosen space care home, they'll immediately notice that, thanks to zero gravity, ankles are no longer swollen. Joints which have ached for years no longer have to support their weight. Zero gravity does, however, make going to the loo a little bit tricky. <laughs> Astronauts sorted this years ago, though, with the maximum absorbency garment, more generally known as an adult nappy. <laughs> You thought astronauts had a grin on their face because they were floating free? <laughs> and for those who are perhaps starting to find breathing hard, there's no need to wear an oxygen mask, as the atmosphere in the whole station can be made super oxygen rich. Although smoking is really, really banned. <laughs> Residents close to the end of their natural lives often request to see just one more sunrise before they die. And thanks to an orbital speed of 15,500 miles an hour, they just need to wait 90 minutes. <laughs> Finally, when Mother Nature calls time on a resident and they pass on to another plane of existence, a simple, beautiful act takes place. They're fired out of the airlock. <laughs> just because space care home owners are cruel and heartless, although some really are, and not just because room is at a premium, although it really is. No, this seemingly cruel act is what gives the earthbound observer that moment of joy and hope. For as they see a shimmering point of light sweep across the night, accompanied by a shooting star, they can tell their daughter, look, there goes Nanny. <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we should all go and live in space. And with that, we've reached the end of the show. Oh. 
but there's just time for some listener messages. Yay! Victoria from York has phoned in to ask, if the sun was the size of a football, what would the earth be? Well, dead. <laughs> Tommy from the International Space Station messaged us to say that as the first astronaut from the northeast, he is just preparing to go on a spacewalk. Temperatures in the vacuum of space are approximately minus 240 centigrade, forcing him to wear a slightly thicker T-shirt. <laughs> Neil from NASA has messaged to tell us that humans could be on Mars as early as Pancake Day 2020. It's one small crep for man. <laughs> Brian from Norwich has emailed to say that he can't use his new space telescope as he's struggling to undo the packaging. That's what happens when you ask for it to be Hubble-wrapped. <laughs> so there we have it. I'm off to open a chain of space care homes. I'm ready to become the first musical historian to visit the moon. And I'm ready to send her there with my slingshot. <laughs> so thanks, everyone, for helping us explore all manner of tech in this series of The Design Spark Podcast. <laughs> The Design Spark podcast starred Lucy Rogers, Beck Hill and Harriet Brain. It was written by the cast with additional material from Stu Cooper, Stephen Mulwiney and Daniel Page. Ty Campbell wrote the sketch and Chris Ballard, Darren Ross, Andrew White and Amber Phillips the listener messages. The show was a Wide at the Chicken production recorded live at the Rosemary Branch Theatre by Andy Partington from Swift Professional Audio. Becky Singh was creative consultant, the script editor was Stu Cooper, and the executive producer, Daniel Page. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes and tell your friends. <laughs>